Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Quiet on Set, the show all about behind the scenes of the industry and what it takes to create a film. Quiet on Set, satisfying your backstage blockbuster quench. I'm your host, Violet Garcia. On air with me today, I have Tom Mahoney, a visual effects supervisor and partner for Costa VFX, a man of many talents who I'm very excited to have here today. Tom, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. So tell me about yourself. I know that you're from Massachusetts. Um, did you go to college on the East Coast as well? I did. I went to Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, not far from where I grew up. And through that, I got an internship on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, which is kind of what sparked my interest in visual effects. And so when I graduated from college, I moved back out to Los Angeles to figure out how I was going to work in the industry. Very cool. Did you ever go to grad school? Did you just attain a bachelor's? I just got my bachelor's. I took some continuing education stuff, some at UCLA, some at other places, just to learn more about visual effects and various other aspects of the industry. So why not grad school? Do you, would you say it doesn't have as big of an effect as uh, it would in other fields or industries? In my experience, no. I don't think that grad school, I think on-the-job experience is probably more important at this point in time. So I think that... Um, you know, getting, getting an education is definitely important, but in terms of how you're going to use it once you're done with your undergrad, I don't know if it has that big an impact in the entertainment industry. It's certainly not on the production and post-production side. If you're an attorney or if you're a producer, maybe, but. Okay. Okay. Good to know for anyone out there wondering. So how would you say attending college affected your career overall? Uh, my college was a great preparation for the work that we ended up doing in a lot of ways, but mainly because of the extracurriculars. I don't feel like the classwork prepared me for the world that I ended up in, but being part of the extracurricular activities, there was a thing called Emerson, Emerson Independent Video. We did award shows. We did various uh, uh, documentaries. We did uh, various things of that nature that uh, helped prepare me for what was going on in uh in my career. Okay. So circling back to earlier, you mentioned that Star Trek is what really sparked your interest into VFX and film. Was there anything else growing up? Did you always just have a natural affinity for movies and the film industry? Like it's a very LA thing to do. So being from the East Coast, I find that interest uh, interesting that that's the field you chose. Uh, my mother would tell a story about there's a, a movie that a lot of people would be familiar with. It's Steven Spielberg movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I was probably nine or eight when it came out. And my mother says, I don't remember this, but my mother says in the middle of the movie, I yelled out, wow, the special effects in this movie are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently I was something I was interested in even at a pretty young age. Okay. Okay. Very neat anecdote. So I see that you worked on The Exorcist in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004 as a digital supervisor. Um, do you want to tell me a bit about that? Sure. Okay. So this is a really interesting story. So I was actually hired to be a digital effects supervisor on Exorcist The Beginning. The visual effects supervisor on that show is a, a friend of mine who I've worked with many times over the years, a guy named Ariel Shaw, great visual effects supervisor. So he brought me in to build a, a unit that would do a, a lion's share of the visual effects on the movie. So we actually built an in-house, what we call an in-house unit. And that means that we hired the artists. We kind of created the infrastructure. We did, we basically built a, effectively a small visual effects facility to do work on that movie. So... Uh, I ended up overseeing that in-house facility. We, we, we brought in, I think at the peak, I think we had 30 or 40 artists working for us in that facility. We, we basically just created a pipeline. We, we basically moved shots through. 
Uh, and it was a great experience. Ariel's great to work with. We had a lot of fun. We did a lot of interesting things. Rennie Harlan was the director. Here's the really interesting story. So what happened was is Morgan Creek, the production company, got the rights to The Exorcist. And so this is the fourth movie in the Exorcist franchise. This came after The Exorcist Part 3. They hired a really well-known director, Paul Schrader. Brilliant guy, writer, wrote Raging Bull, directed a lot of stuff, worked with Martin Scorsese a great deal. Um, but when he was done shooting it, Morgan Creek wasn't happy with it. So there was a lot of behind-the-scenes drama, and they basically said, we're not happy with what you're doing. We're going to bring in somebody else to fix the movie and do do the version that we want. So they hired Rennie Harlan. Rennie convinced them to reach instead of just reshooting a little bit of it, Rennie convinced them to basically shoot reshoot 75% of it. So it basically is a brand new movie. So that's the movie I got hired onto, the Rennie Harlan movie. When they finished it, Morgan Creek approached me and said, hey, would you mind sticking around? Because we still want to finish Paul Schrader's version of it, but we don't want to spend a lot because we want to have this since we, we spent all this money on it already. We want to do fall, finish Paul Schrader's version. So we ended up finishing Paul Schrader's version on which I was kind of the visual effects supervisor. Uh, and Schrader came in, we finished it. So there were two Exorcist 4. One is called Exorcist Dominion, that's the Paul Schrader version, and one is called Exorcist The Beginning, and that's the Rennie Harlan version. <laughs> and I ended up working on both. <laughs> I definitely did not anticipate that, but that, that's so great to hear. That's very interesting. Um, so the portion that you worked on, um, that part of production, is that more of like the pre-production side of things, or does that lean more t- towards post-production? Like what area of the pipeline was that really in? In the case of the Exorcist movies, I was basically only involved in post. Okay. Visual effects as a discipline is usually involved all the way from the beginning to the end because we have to help design the process for how we're going to shoot the shots. So that's pre-production. We have to be there to supervise the shots. That's production. And then we have to finish the shots and that would happen in post-production. So we do generally stay involved from the beginning to the end of any project. In a weird way, we're one of the only disciplines that does. Directors do, for the most part, in features. A director will be involved all the way from on a feature film from the beginning to the end. But on a mo- on a television show, directors usually aren't involved all the way to the end because the producers, executive producers uh, of the show tend to be the ones who finish it before it's finally released. So in a lot of ways, it's really interesting. We're one of the few disciplines that kind of carries all the way through. So, sure, yeah, you guys really do genuinely get to be involved in every single step of the way do, or right? nearly every step of the way. So for a majority of that time, did you work for a production or advertising agency? Um, for The Exorcist, we just worked directly for the production. So that's what they call an in-house visual effects unit. So we technically worked for The Exorcist. Just for them. Okay, gotcha. we're, I worked for Morgan Creek Productions because they're the ones who owned it. But that was basically we worked for that feature film. Uh-huh. So how was it? So being a supervisor, what was it like overseeing others as opposed to really being in the thick of it yourself and being one of the main artists? One informs the other, like knowing as I think it's always good to be someone who's done the job so that you understand the real like what's possible, what isn't possible when somebody's having a problem, when somebody isn't performing the way they should. You at least understand what they're up against so you don't treat people unfairly, but you also know when people are underperforming. So I think it was always important to understand being an artist is a good way to supervise other artists because then you understand what they're up against. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a strong preference for either side? Um, I, I enjoy being a supervisor. I think it's... Uh, 
it plays into my strengths, but I do still occasionally try and work on shots so that I don't quite lose my edge. I'm nowhere near as fast as I used to be, <laughs> but I do still try and work on shots from time to time so that I don't forget how to do it. Sure. So what would you say then are some vital skills to have for somebody who's looking to fill this type of position? I think, I mean, there are lots of disciplines in visual effects. Uh, I'd say if you wanted to be a compositor, which is the one who's actually putting the shots together, uh, learning Photoshop as a starting point is great because all the logic in Photoshop transcends to other software like After Effects. Nuke is the primary compositing software we use. There's, there's many out there. But for the most part, if you're working in a professional environment, you'd probably be using the Foundry's Nuke. Um, you might be using After Effects, you might be using Digital Fusion, but those are going to be kind of the three that you'd be using as a compositor. But then there's 3D, and that's when you're starting to create 3D animation. 3D animation creates all sorts of things. You could be a modeler, you could be a lighter, you could be a, a rigger, you could be an animator. So just the 3D discipline alone can be split into multiple disciplines. And there are generalists out there who can do everything and they're great, but then when you get into some of the more complicated things, you do need a specialist. Then you get into other things like physical dynamics. We, we call them dynamics, but it's uh, software packages like Houdini. They create, uh, it's physical simulations. It's like water simulations, fire simulations, when a building blows up or there's an explosion. That's all being done through most likely Houdini. There are other software packages that do it, but Houdini is one of them. And nowadays, Unreal. Unreal is huge right now. Like, sure, it was just for video games a few years ago. Now, things are being done in features and television and Unreal all the time. So learning Unreal is a great thing to do. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit. I noticed that you worked, um, like, referencing back to digital compositing um, for Laundry Warrior. So what was it like um, compositing for films and moving frames versus still shots? Um, most of the work that we did in the early days was on feature films. That's what we, we started doing. Um, that's, uh, you know, The Exorcist was a good example. When we started COSA Visual Effects, Laundry Warrior was one of the early ones that we worked on. Um, and that came to us through another supervisor uh, named Jason Piccioni, who was, he was the visual effects supervisor on it. Um, Laundry Warrior was interesting because it had its own unique style. It had a very sort of hyper-real style. They did a lot of like sort of quasi-real matte paintings for the background. And so it was a very interesting style. And so we had to lean into that stylistically. Uh, but it's, you know, it's the discipline is the same. It just gets more complicated as you jump from stills to moving images because you can do anything to a still, but then you have to do it at 24 frames a second for any moving images. So it always gets a little bit more complicated when you, a lot more complicated <laughs> when you start doing it to a moving image. Gotcha, okay, so then what would be like a strong skill set for somebody to have going down like that particular path? And it doesn't even need to be um, technique wise, I guess, when you were mentioning like Photoshop, maybe like even interpersonal skills or anything. Oh, sure, I mean, interpersonal skills are probably gonna serve you well almost in any profession that you take on, but working well with others, collaborating and understanding a big part of my job right now, is, even as a visual effects supervisor, is that visual effects in its purest form are always going to serve the story. Somebody's trying to tell a story. It's not me. I'm not the storyteller. I'm helping the storyteller. So my job is to try and think about what the storyteller is trying to accomplish from this particular shot and to make their vision and understand their vision a reality. So being able to 
there there's sometimes you have to be able to divorce your own aesthetic from the aesthetic of what they're trying to achieve because sometimes things that i think would look great aren't what they want and it's not what they want for the story so it's really being able to put yourself in their head a little bit and say what do they need and what do they want and what they want and what they need can be two different things so a lot of times you have to be careful to try and give somebody what they need and not what they want so it's really interesting learning that and you know it's it's different with every creative that you end up working with because everybody has a different style. Everybody has a different need. Everybody has a different look that they want. So yeah, you really have I'm to feel your way out to try and figure out how to service the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, that's a really good note. And it's something that I'm um, even actually still learning myself, you know, being new to this field and being new to journalism and learning um, how to write differently for an opinionated piece versus just straight reporting and leaving words like drastic and sort of um, very opinion-based words out of that. Um, it's a really good way to put it. So um, circling back to compositing and production, as far as I know, most of the time, that's more towards the end of the production pipeline. So what it was is. it like working more in that last portion um, of the process? It's always interesting working at the end because everybody's out of time, they're out of money, and they're out of patience. And so everybody wants to get everything done as quickly and as cheaply, as, but still be great uh, as possible at that point in time. Um, it's still it's still really great and rewarding when you can get when you really get into it and you figure out the rhythm and the desire and the look. But it uh, it can be it's very deadline driven, just like journalism. It's very deadline driven. So we we have an end date that we have to uh, we have to stick to. And that's always going to be the thing that's going to determine it because everybody has a release date. Everybody has an air date and we have to make that work. Sure. So you definitely need to be good at working under pressure then. You do. <laughs> um, so did you ever do freelance work or were you mostly working under um, studios? And if you did do freelance work, like which did you prefer? I did freelance work for uh, a while. I worked I worked at multiple places. I used to be an assistant editor at a place called Mad River Post. And from there, I worked in uh, at a video game company, Activision, for a little while. And that's where I started to learn more about high-end compositing. Uh, I then worked at a place called Paramount Digital Design, which is part of Paramount Pictures, uh, where I picked up even more high-end compositing. And after that, I was freelance for a little while. And freelance in that regard, there's a software compositing system called The Flame uh, that's made by Discrete Logic. And that was very popular, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s. It still exists, but it's not kind of at the same level of popularity it was then. Um, and I would work freelance at that. I would work on any project and at various facilities as a freelance flame artist. Sure. Do you have any advice for anyone who's beginning to do freelance work and anyone who's um, venturing out into the world on their own for the first time? I think the biggest thing that's always going to be difficult for an artist is having a reel because that's how you judged more so than by almost anything else is people want to look at the work you've done. And that's true for us even as a company today. We get jobs on shows because our reel shows something that looks like what somebody wants to do now. So they want to Everybody wants to see that you've already done what they want you to do, which is really difficult when you're young, because if you don't have something like that on your reel, it's hard to get hired for it. So we do uh, we do try and have internship programs and we do try and have almost mentorships when we bring in junior artists where they can see what senior artists are doing and, and get an idea for how to work and what works and what doesn't and get experience. Uh, but it's really all about your reel. So doing the work is very important. 
So for somebody who's just starting out to um, build their portfolio, what should their biggest focus be when it comes to pulling pieces together? Should they have a variety? What should they focus on the most? Is there anything in particular they should especially spotlight? I think it would depend on what they want to do. Like if you want to be a compositor, then I think you'd have to show proficiency with Nuke if that's pulling green screen keys and proving that you can do wire removals or, you know, things of that nature, rotoscoping even. Although I'm going to say not rotoscoping because three years from now, rotoscoping is all going to be AI. <laughs> so so <laughs> sure. don't worry about that. It's all probably going to be done automatically. But uh, I think ha showing some proficiency in the tool is more important than even the shots being beautiful. Because I think if we can see that you know how to use the software and you have a decent eye, then we can we can figure out how to roughen out i mean we can smooth out all the rough edges sure and help them clean up a bit so moving on to the big guns you are one of four co-founders and partners of cosa um so where did the idea to start your own company sprout from how did that all get started a lot of that came from that exorcist experience that we talked about since we built or since you know i was the digital effects supervisor but I was also working with all three of my current partners at that point in time. John Tanimoto, Chris Lance, and David Beden were all part of that in-house facility that we built. And I think that's where the germ of the idea for COSO really started. It was like, if we could do this for The Exorcist, why can't we just do this ourselves? Um, and so a few years down the road, John and I got together. And then not long after that, David and Chris came to join us. And uh, we, we just basically started... In this very room that we're talking in right now is the first place that COSA existed uh, between this garage office and John had a small garage office as well. That was basically COSA for two or three years. Then we started hiring more people and we moved to a, an actual office space and then we hired more people and moved to another office, bigger office spaces. And then we founded a Vancouver office and then we founded an Atlanta office. I never knew that. I feel especially honored to be sitting <laughs> even just in here. Um, so what would you say it was like learning how to balance a new company with your family and, you know, with your wife and your sons? How was that? That was really difficult. Uh, I would actually say that that is a, a very difficult thing because you throw yourself into your work so much that sometimes, you know, there were I worked I worked in my backyard and there were literally days I didn't see my wife and children. So it's something you have to be very careful. And that's something we stress a lot at COSA now is we want people to have a work-life balance. We don't want people to get so into it that they don't have a work-life balance. So it's, it is something that's important to us. I think it's another important thing about having all four of us been artists before is we know what it's like. We know the pressure you feel. We know that it's not easy. And so we, we, and I'm not saying we always succeed because there are deadlines and deadlines have to be met, but we do try and keep that awareness around and we do try and make it so that people get to have a life and get to see their families and not have to worry about all that stress yeah it's so, so compassionate of you guys you really don't hear much of that anymore we try like i said i'm not sure we always succeed but we do try uh i know for a fact i know myself and my partners there were probably a good like six months that that at least once a month we didn't work 24 to 36 hours straight oh wow um, so a bit of a gear shift again. What would you say are some notice, uh, notable differences when it comes to working on feature films versus commercials and TV? Um, it depends on TV and movies are becoming very similar now because of streaming. Like 
streaming and high-end television is not a lot different than feature film work. Like working on Game of Thrones would not be a lot different than working on a feature film. Working on some of the higher end streaming things like, for instance, say like Foundation for Apple or, you know, the, the Power of the Rings or I can't remember, I think it's called Power of the Rings on Amazon. They're, 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 they're high end projects. They're going to be very much like working on a feature film. Um, there are going to be lower tier things that are going to be a little bit more like working on what they now call linear television. And then for broadcast television, which is what they call linear now, um, it's usually a little bit more forgiving only because of the time frame that's involved. Because between the time that they shoot it and the time that it has to air, because they do still have air dates, is actually a very limited amount of time. We usually have about seven weeks to do everything. Whereas on a feature film, you could have seven months. So it can become a much more compact schedule. And, you know, when you have less time, there is there can be an impact to the quality. We try not to let that happen, but there can be. So you do have to keep an eye you have to keep an eye on what is expected from each of those products. So for a feature film, there is a lot more back and forth with the client about getting the shot to be perfect. And there are times that on a broadcast show that you don't have time to get it perfect. You try, you try to get, but you get it to a point that everyone's happy. So it is about balancing the amount of time you have, the amount of money your clients have, and the amount of quality that you can get into it with the time and money. Sure, yeah, I, I would not have thought of that. So biggest takeaway, balance. Um, so you're a partner and a supervisor at COSA. What would you say are your main responsibilities now? I still supervise several shows. I will go out uh, onto some show. The way the COSA works is there we are both a vendor, meaning we work for other we work for other visual effects supervisors and we will do shots. But we are also a full service to certain clients where we are the visual effects supervisor as well as the post-production vendor for it as well. Things that get a little complicated in how people use the terminology is that say that uh, say it's a big movie, doesn't matter what it is, but there's a visual effects supervisor who oversees it. Several vendors work on it, like say us or another visual effects company. Those companies also have visual effects supervisors who are overseeing what's going on in their company. So in the case of when we work on it full service, I would still be the person who goes to set. I would be the person who oversees it in post. And my partners could work the same way. But I also do oversee shows that are just coming into post. So things that are just being where we serve as a vendor. So I will look at shots. We try and make sure that we're servicing our clients in that respect and making sure that we're giving them the quality and the, again, getting back to the storytelling that they're trying to tell. Sure. So definitely hard work. Um, speaking of hard work, so you're not only Emmy nominated, but you've also won. How did it feel to win and realize all of your investments had truly officially paid off? That was fantastic. I got to meet Jane Lynch. She got to hand me the Emmy. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that was great. And, you know, I, I would love to say that I could take sole credit for it. But like I said, I have three partners who they deserve a, a huge share of the credit and all the people who do the work too. I mean, we're Visual effects is a collaborative art. No one is doing all the work by themselves. Filmmaking as a whole is a collaborative art. Is nobody's taking all the credit. There's. Yeah, absolutely. So when taking a final look back on your career, what do you think of your journey? Um, it's been 
great. It's been interesting. It's like, you know, it's uh, we get to create worlds. We get to create magic. We're, we're strangely, even to people on film sets, we're so, sort of magicians. They don't understand what we do a lot of the time. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's always fun when you kind of like can put something together and then show people who helped you put it together. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that was going to go that way. I didn't know that's how it was going to go. And I mean, it can be really rewarding and creative. It can be frustrating. It can be tiring. But it's uh, it's it's been good, you know, as long as there aren't too many strikes going on. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like you've definitely found where you belong. Um, all right. That is all the time we have for today, folks. A big thank you to Mr. Mahoney for joining us here. Good luck with COSA and all of your future endeavors. Remember to check out their work on shows like One Piece, Nancy Drew, and Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. For more information, go to kpcradio.com. Coming up on my next show, we'll be spotlighting animation and the business side of the industry with well-known producer Paul Fleshner. I want to thank you all for listening. This is Violet Garcia, and this is Quiet on Set.